Tonight, why giving your house Kwonky and Monkey Lizard personal items could result in their freedom. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another podcast about Star Wars. We're back at it again with more episodes of Resistance. We're going to go ahead and get through four more episodes on this podcast and just work our way through up until we finish off the series. It's all about Resistance. John, how are you feeling? I'm doing all right. You pumped? All right. Uh, Okay. All right. I'm doing doing all right. I I am ready to talk about resistance let's jump right into it with the first episode which i believe is seven uh, that sounds right the, yeah in terms of the overall series it's called relic raiders well tell, tell me about this episode tell, tell me more about the relics and the raiders therein well i didn't write down an episode summary on this one because once again i was completely caught surprised by the two Force-sensitive kids that I constantly forget are on the Colossus. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a, a note on that saying I'm glad that they didn't drop the kid plot entirely because I was also beginning to forget <laughs> that they were part of that particular uh, thing. Yeah, they, they showed up and I'm like, oh... I remember them. I completely forgot. There must be Jedi stuff in this episode. Because they don't show up unless there's Force stuff. It is true. I'm actually looking for their names. Right. And Kid I 1. Can't and Kid 2. Seem to find them. We'll uh, never forget them. Kel and Isla. Ayla? Ayla. 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 So Kel and Ayla. Right. Force kids, um, yeah. So as 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 the hot topics resident forcey worsey fanboy, I did have some fun with this episode. The couple crew members of the Colossus, namely Tora, Kaz, and the Russian ace Freya, all take a trip down to a planet outpost to see if they could get supplies. Uh, the outpost was not responding to their hails. The Force kids decide that they want to get off the station for a bit and join. Uh, so Kaz kind of lets them sneak on board. They get down to the planet surface. The colony is abandoned. Some sort of messages are scrawled on the wall with your generic uh, unhelpful warnings that you see in most movies and TV shows where warnings are scrawled on the wall that just say things like danger and get out and curse and no explanation or anything like that. Uh, just unhelpful cryptic messaging. While everybody else goes and looks for stuff, the Force kids get drawn to a Force temple. It looks to be like a Jedi temple of some sort or a Force worshiper center of some sort they get in there and figure out see that there's sort of like a secondary entrance way they go down into an area that seemed kind of not like the place above there are traps that get triggered kaz ends up getting into a room where there's a relic tries to pick up the relic gets caught in a trap with a new character named mika gray who is an older Forcey scholar of some kind who is after the artifact, and she is not taking any of Kaz's crap this day, nor any day. 
uh, just yelling at him for constantly triggering traps, which he continues to do until their lives are in danger in a spinning G-Force room of death. The Force kids, Kel and Ayla, end up finding their way to the area and stopping the trap. They escape the area to see that the First Order have captured their friends while they were away. Uh, Mika Gray ends up triggering this artifact, which acts as some sort of lightning grenade and zaps the First Order troops and ends up joining the party thereafter and coming aboard the Colossus as she is some sort of hunter of uh, Force relics. So what did you think of this episode, John? I thought it was really interesting how Mika mentions that the Sith temples are generally found under Jedi ones. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. It just seems that in in Star Wars lore, the Jedi love tempting fate with dark side stuff. <laughs> Yoda's like, "Hey, I'm gonna go live next to this dark side energy tree. That seems like a safe place for 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 things." And then, like, what? There's a there's a Sith temple under the Jedi temple on Coruscant, right? If I remember, uh, if I remember my lore right. Wow, Ian, that's like capital Jedi. You should know this stuff. I know. Uh, I don't actually mm. know if there's a Sith temple underneath the one on Coruscant. I know that in Legacy, the Sith built a temple on top of the Jedi Temple in Coruscant. <laughs> that one was probably built on top of a Sith Temple. Yeah, it's um, just layers of, of, of temples. <laughs> what was interesting to me about just that idea is that that totally makes sense for the Jedi to do. They'd be like, hey, like, you know, like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger sort of thing. Like, if we can put our temple here and face the temptation head on and still overcome it, then that just makes them stronger Jedi sort of thing. Sure. I don't think the Sith would do the same thing to a Jedi temple. Like, they would put their temple on top of the Sith temple, or the Jedi temple, and it wouldn't be a thing of, like, oh, we're going to try to tempt ourselves toward the light and overpower it. They'd just do it to, like, yeah, spike the Jedi. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, but I thought I thought that was a an interesting observation. I was real nervous that Mika was going to be a random Force user. And yeah. at, at the end of it, it just seemed like she was Indiana Jones or Laura Croft, uh, Nathan Drake, a Tomb Raider. That's not what I'm... Antiquities right. Collector. That's what we'll go with. <laughs> she has the knowledge of what, what these things are, uh, what the temple is, uh, who built the temple, who made these artifacts. But her her motivation is more of a, I don't want the First Order to get it. And right, she's... she's probably going to sell it somewhere on some other market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or she knows what they are, and, like knows what these artifacts are, knows how they can be misused. So she's just trying to like, uh, uh, kind of like um, uh, 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 Baze and and Chirrut. Uh, Chirrut. Yeah. They they are familiar with the Force religions, and they are familiar with the artifacts of these religions, and they know how powerful they can be. Right. Uh, and but unfortunately, those two are they were unable to stop. The, the pilfering going on on Jetta, but this this woman is trying to do that across the galaxy. Yeah, and she she definitely seems like a scholar, but like she might have some latent force abilities. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I do I do like the the idea that you know there are people out there who recognize the the threat of the dark side, even though they aren't Jedi. Like she specifically says, she's trying to keep this stuff out of the hands of Kylo Ren. The the way that the way I interpret it is that she was, regardless if it was a Sith or a Jedi temple, she was going in there to get the artifact. The artifacts are powerful regardless of which faction 
uh, they belong to, and they can be misused either way. Yeah, she definitely gives off those Indiana Jones kind of museum. I also really liked the design of the stormtroopers that were chasing after her. Yeah, the, uh, the First Order Raiders. So I think she describes they're chasing her, and they're also trying to get the relics themselves. What I liked about the that those uniforms is that the helmet made them very uh, of the purge troopers mm. from uh, Fallen Order, uh, but with the the First Order uh, lines style, right? Uh, but it was very reminiscent of those purge troopers, and the purge troopers were going after Jedi and going after Jedi artifacts and stuff. So I thought that was kind of a cool way to connect these troopers to previous um, incarnations. Yeah, my uh, I have a note on that specifically going uh, cool troop type, cool cool troop type. What are they? Nice. <laughs> and then I said raiders, cool like the Nazi hunters in Indiana Jones. Yeah. Uh, so this whole thing was like an Indiana Jones Tomb Raider episode, and uh, they really turned the fantasy genre up to eleven in this one. Which me as a Forcey, I enjoy because it's just a it's a little dropper for me as the the Forcey fan to just be like, you know, yep, it's still here, still still good. <laughs> Over the, the the last few episodes that we've been reviewing, I started to like Kaz a lot more, and I yeah, think because that's he... he wasn't doing his normal his normal thing of being bad at being a spy and he's just being a pilot or uh, being clever. Yeah, this one made me backtrack completely <laughs> as you mentioned they go into the temple and uh they're in that centrifugal force trap room thing and yeah, just the, before I, that goes I, off I... because like hey every time you move kaz you set off a trap stop moving and then he goes okay i'm gonna stop moving everywhere around this room and he's just constantly setting off traps and yep. then every time he sets one off, she goes, stop moving because you're setting off traps. And he goes, okay, so by stopping to move, I will run around this room and cause more traps. Like, uh, yes, I, she's telling you what's happening and you're just 100% ignoring her. I had the exact same reaction. I was starting to think that Kaz was being better at being a live person and more of a character and less of a collection of tragedies wrapped up in a bottle. Because well, <laughs> normally when he's he's bad at being a spy, it's because he's not a spy. He's a pilot. Like, he's a trained fighter pilot. And so his, his faults of being bad at being a spy can be attributed to he's never been trained to do this sort of right. thing. In this one, he's being told what to do, and he's ignoring it. Consequences happen, and then he ignores it again. Yeah, does not learn anything. Memory of a goldfish. It, 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 <laughs> Mika says something along the lines of Kaz is someone who knows too much and talks too little. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or, or um, opposite. Knows too little, talks too much. Knows too little, talks too much. Yeah. I was like, that is an excellent, uh, excellent now, definition. Mika had a really interesting quote, and it kind of reminded me of there was kind of rumor kind of discussion on whether or not what Finn was trying to tell Rey at the end of Rise of Skywalker was that he was force sensitive or something. Uh-huh. And what she says is force doesn't belong to any one person. It is something that is inside of all of us. Uh, we just find it in different ways. Now, what what I liked about that quote is that when I was when I was growing up and watching Star Wars before the prequels, 
it kind of felt like anybody could be a Jedi. Uh, all you had to do was focus, learn, and train, and you'd be able to tap into like force powers somehow, like a meditation sort of thing, you know? Mm. And then when the prequels came out, like, oh, no, nah, it's actually something in your blood. Now, and then they kind of like backtracking, like, oh, no, no, it's in your blood, but it's everyone has it. Just some people have it in bigger, bigger concentration, so it's easier to access. Right. Uh, and then I kind of like this quote from Mika that, that anybody can have the force. Well, it, it goes back to what Obi-Wan said at the very, in the very first Star Wars movie. The force is an energy field made up of all living things. Mm-hmm. It surrounds us, it binds us, holds the galaxy together. That has always been true in the underlying current of yeah. Star Wars. And this quote but, is is very, very good at attribution of that. And, and I think that there hasn't been anything like solid in anything that just said anybody can access these these abilities or access the force like well there's uh, a difference the, the between... one quote you you said is like oh this is what the force is as a concept but what meek is saying here is like the force is is in everybody it's just a matter of how you find it i um, which I disagree uh and well i understand that's what the words but i believe her meaning is not her meaning isn't literally everybody can access force powers i believe i interpreted it as much like obi-wan's thing it's just like the forces in everybody and it connects everybody to us that's how i interpret oh no i'm not saying like everybody can force choke anybody what i'm saying is like uh it's it's i think we're doing like a uh our parallel arguing Mm. (laughs) because what what this does for me is it kind of reaffirms my own headcanon that Chirrut could access the Force in some way. Maybe not as strongly as, as Luke could, but that's, that's what helped him be able to you know, be such a, have such martial prowess, even being blind. Sure, sure. Um, what, yeah, what's, what's really hard is, is that, because I'm a, a Forcey, I kind of you know, look at it from all angles, but, and I agree with you where it's, it's really hard to kind of keep it all straight when people are saying here with Mika and Obi-Wan's quote, we see, oh, you know, everybody is part of the force and part of the greater thing and people can find it in different ways. But then we focus on the Skywalker saga and we see that, you know, they're, they're so focused on the Skywalker bloodline and how, you know, it's genetically passed down. But then you've got the prequels saying that some people are just born with a stronger connection. And then you look at the, sequels which has finn who's just like a random nobody who ends up being force sensitive at least partially at the end compared to ray her lineage is brought in so they kind of are like it all can exist together but Mm -hmm. the way they focus on things makes it hard to realize that you know Mm -hmm. what i mean i I do know what you mean yeah but i agree with you it's a really good quote and I'm I'm really happy that you wrote it down because my notes say she has a good quote for forcey stuff, but I didn't actually write down. <laughs> you didn't quote. actually write it down. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But yeah, no, I I like that. Go, quick side note: it's baffling to me that there's still like argument over what Finn was trying to say to Ray. I thought it was pretty obvious. Uh, but. <laughs> But but he didn't say anything, so there will always be 
there'll always be debate over it. Yeah, I I know, but it's just like context clues. <laughs> there is something funny about that, though. You know, you're talking about quote Mika Gray's name is Mika Gray, and one of my notes is Mika Gray. Really, Gray? <laughs> just gonna... Oh, I have I have a dumb a dumb prank I was gonna pull on you that is so dumb that I'm just gonna tell you about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I was going. I was after I watched this and. I was just like thinking about uh, the different Jedi stuff and how her name is Gray. I'm like, oh, did they introduce? Are they introducing a Gray Jedi, like an officially canon acknowledged Gray Jedi sort of thing? And then I thought, you know what? There already has been a Gray Jedi in canon and on screen. You might know him as the Inquisitor. He has gray skin. You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and I was gonna, I was gonna text you that, like, you know, there's, there's already a canon gray Jedi, unless you sit on that and be angry, and then you a picture of Temple Guard Inquisitor, <laughs> <laughs> and be like, look how gray this guy is. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Good times. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Do I have anything else on this episode? Uh, I, I just have the word trap written down. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the second note. So it must be a, like when they went right into the temple. I just immediately was like, trap. This is a trap. I also wrote down, seems Sithy. And then afterwards, I wrote, called it. It's like, this temple seems kind of Sithy. Yeah, it is. That's cool. It was nice to see a Force scholar that isn't a straight up Forcey. Going back to your point on on her, um, that was cool. Uh, I think the 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 trap idea for a G Force room of death is pretty neat. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's that's all I got for that episode. Anything else you want to do to wrap that one up? No, I, I I got everything. Yeah, I think you're right. We were doing that sort of parallel arguing thing where it's just like I latched on to like the way you worded one. <laughs> I think I like, yeah. No, <laughs> I can see what it was because I it was I I wasn't taking it as as literal as. As it sounded like I was saying. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Because I totally thought that you were, like, being little. Oh, no, like, everyone can shoot force lightning all the time. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> this isn't like, <laughs> I'm like, it's 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 not like learning how to uh, breathe properly or whatever. Although they do focus a lot on breathing. Yeah. Mm. So it, it's exactly like that. Well, moving away from something <laughs> that's very force-sensitive uh, force to... Uh, our first real taste of the main plot line again. Uh, rendezvous point. So what do you got for rendezvous point? The entirety of my notes is it's Tara's birthday and she wants to meet up with her mom. And then I zoned out. <laughs> yeah, so... Like, this... I, I remember the episode, but like I I think I was I was so caught up in it that... I didn't even like look at my notebook. Yeah, it's been it, it was it was really interesting this episode because it kind of felt like they were introducing this character out of nowhere. That character being Tora's mom slash Doza's wife, who is also Doza, I suppose. The we open with the Colossus just kind of sitting there getting attacked by a, a first order ship, and they're like, "Hey, we can't wait any longer," and they're trying to figure out why they were there in the first place and what they were waiting for. Kaz gets the bright idea that they were waiting for 
a resistance person. So he's like, hey, I'm in the resistance, sort of. I can totally help get in contact with them. They're like, no, that's not. Technically, yes, we were waiting for a resistance person, but that's not why. And they find out that it's it's Tora's mom. Tora's mom is, you know, an ace resistance pilot and ends up getting captured as she gets to the rendezvous point by the First Order troops. Um, happens to get run into Tam. They have some discussion about who's right and wrong and the whole sides of the universal dust-up. Her droid uh, torch is awesome and all about distracting things with fire and explosions and ends up helping them escape. And that's really it for this episode. For me, it was really strange to, at least it was jarring to have an entire episode be about this brand new character without the input of other characters we've seen. And once once we figured out that, you know, she was being used as a device to get an update on Tam's situation, mm-hmm. it soothed a little bit. And that it's not to say I don't like the character. I actually really did like the character. It was just kind of out of nowhere that we had so much focus on this uh, this character. So um, what do you got on this one? Other than other than uh, uh, other than Tora's mom is a th- now, which is exactly what I wrote in my notes. I, uh, Tora's mom is a thing now. I don't really care for the non-Tam story in this one. Like I like Tam's story. Like I, I I was very interested interested to see what you know first order life is like. I found it interesting uh, that Tora's mom recognized Tam. Yeah, that kind of caught me off guard. And that, and I'm guessing that's probably because like Tora like sends sent her mom pictures of her friends, sort of thing. But I I found it interesting that every time she like would she refer to her as Tam, uh, Tam would correct her with her, her with her ID number. number, yeah, her, her serial number. number, and like very very defiantly like correcting her, like that's not my name. My name is yeah whatever <laughs> whatever the number is. Again, I took one note. <laughs> right um, but it, it's still nice to see that she sometimes she's fully gung-ho for being first order and then other times that you can see like the cracks already forming in that decision and it really only takes a little bit of poking to see those tra- cracks yeah i think was kind of the this episode i've been finding it interesting that the, there's the other the other pilot that's with her uh the blonde guy yeah for some reason she confides some of these secrets too even though she knows, like she has to know that, like you can't do that, and that well, guy's were, already. They were proven. both on the Colossus together. And I think that's the reason why. But we we've already seen that guy like be a dickhead. Yeah, yeah exactly. So better the devil you know, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but that dude's gonna turn her in anytime now. I'm Maybe actually I... surprised it didn't happen in this episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, it's. I think it's because it hasn't affected him yet. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure that the commander uh, of the ship knows that Tam had a hand in getting getting Tora's mom free. Oh yeah, like even though she didn't do it on purpose, but absolutely, that's why they kind of she gets you know report to security and do a debrief for yeah. And I did enjoy that there was a lot more action in this episode than I think we've had in sort of this season so far. In terms of the actual running and gunning, I really liked their distraction plan with Torch just like 
attaching grenades to things and then playing dead like that to me felt like the quintessential star wars uh we've been you know i, I we've been captured by the enemy and we need to use trickery to escape mm-hmm. sort of thing uh which i really enjoyed i enjoyed that i have sort of an overarching point that about the ship battles that feeds into like this episode and the next two so i'll kind of save that as a wrap-up for the end bakura got name dropped which i thought was cool i always like those little extended universe slash other story connections that get made it was still weird like it was still odd to just have tora's mom show up out of nowhere and play such a critical role in an episode her showing up did help flesh out a little bit more of captain doza's background right we knew that he was ex-imperial. Right. But I, I don't know if they mentioned it, but I, I always uh, assume that after, I guess, the events of Return of the Jedi, he just came out of, or like he just retired well, uh, uh, sort of thing. It specifically says in this episode that his wife turned him. Uh, right. But I'm saying, but before that, I don't think they had mentioned why he wasn't Imperial anymore. Right. Or if he had just retired. So bringing her in and saying like, oh, she's the reason why he, the empire like she's the one that got through to him about what the empire was all the great things the empire was doing uh and that he must leave the great works to cause so anarchy (laughs) and chaos in the galaxy well it's interesting to me that he still this bit of information we know that he he turned rebel but he still kept his captain's uniform so in a way he was probably proud of the idea of his service mm-hmm. and like the reasons why he joined in the first place and still holds on to some of like the good parts of it, right. but recognize the corruptness, cool. which is way more of a deep dive into Doza that <laughs> than I was expecting to go on a journey here. <laughs> Just do a side tangent, similar, similar track, but parallel track. I don't know what I'm trying to say there. Um, about trains. As I've mentioned, I've watched Rogue One like three times in the last and the whole point of that that movie, maybe not the whole point, but they they want to get these Death Star plans, Mon Mothma does and Bail Organa does and all the other senators want to, because they want to take that information and give it to the Senate to be like, hey, this is what our government is doing. Maybe there should be some oversight on this. So like even in Rogue One, there there were Imperials that saw something within the Empire that was good. But knew that there were some things that were bad that needed to be changed, and then right. and then Death Star blew stuff up, and they're like, ah, just open rebellion at this point now. Not much to salvage here. Yeah, um, and then like so immediately I, I think thereafter, like, the Emperor's yeah. like, uh, dissolve the Senate. And that's uh, that's where I think like yeah, where where Doza was coming from. Like he he was military. Uh, he's old enough to have probably you know seen the end of the Clone Wars, so he knew what the like the destruction of galactic war was and that the stability that was brought by the um and and then and then probably <laughs> his his new wife showed him the uh all the great things they were doing with super weapons <laughs> <laughs> yeah it kind of it kind of has a similar beat you know talking about rogue one with uh galen uh, galen yeah yeah like man i i created some of the you know the best power networks ever and i couldn't have done that without the resources of the empire this is great it's a great job i'm proud of my work i'm proud of my team he essentially worked for san diego gas and electric (laughs) 
And then they were like, hey, let's take all your information with that towards a really, really big gun. He's like, uh, <laughs> no. no I'm good. No. I have a note here that just says cruelty to grogs on rendezvous point. I don't know what that means, but uh, better, better, yeah. better treatment for grogs. Yeah, more, more, um, more cruelty to grogs. I agree. No, less, <laughs> less cruelty to grogs. All right. One, one last thought on this: we we kind of see things like this happening when a show's ending, where there's secondary or background characters that that the writing team wants to flesh out their story, but they just don't have the time to do that now that the show's ending. Right, or the resources, that, or whatever. I feel like that's what this one kind of was. It's kind of like a backdoor way to get some more of Tora and Captain Doza's background. And then the other half was further in Tam's plot. So I'm kind of interested with, with the 10-ish episodes left, how many more of those there will be. I could see feasibly two or three more, but I wouldn't want to dedicate any more than that to these background stories if there's you know if this is the last season unless there's something they're not telling us uh the next show will be star wars resistance 2 or something like that where it's the same characters just in a different setting um all right so moving on we have the vox vortex 9000 i have Um, issues with this episode you have issues many many issues with this (laughs) Uh, well, why don't you give me a lowdown on what uh, what happened in the episode before you uh, give me your 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 uh, hot takes? So, if I if I remember correctly, the resource that the the Colossus is low on now is money. Uh, essentially, right? yes. So, uh, hype phase on is like, hey, hey, Doza, why don't we go gamble for money? I'm good at racing. I know this guy that likes to race. Uh, he will give us money. So they direct the Colossus out to a casino in the sky. In the sky, I mean in space. And the lo space and behold, sky. it is run by a hut. I hope this hut doesn't turn out to be some sort of gangster or uh, uh, some sort of back backstabbing, backroom dealing, the slimy uh, slug type guy. Because uh, that would just be racist if all <laughs> all huts were that way. And he seems really friendly and he invites them in. They come to the casino, which is bumping with two other guests. I did enjoy that the hut mentioned that. Oh, first off, I enjoy that this hut does not sit in a chair like other huts, where other huts will like lay on like a platform to move around, like Jabba or Zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one lies on his back with like his full belly vertically hanging down the chair <laughs> and it just i thoroughly enjoyed that visual it's just so ridiculous looking but I, I like that he mentioned that since the first order kind of started showing up in that space that all of his patrons had just was like left and gone off to canto bite like, <laughs> eh, i know that that's a reference i get i know that reference so he makes a deal with hype for money that if hype can beat his racers in, in some weird relay race. Not even a relay race, just some weird race that uh, will get all this money. So he, f- f- Hype goes into race, finds out that he's racing against hyper-intelligent droids that cheat, and... Oh, that's right. The the bet was, you get money if you win, if you lose, you have to stay here and race for me. And he's like, yeah, I got this. And then cheater droids 
cheat and they lose, so Hype has to stay there. And Captain Toes is a little upset because now his top ace is enslaved, I guess. Yeah. Um, so he makes another deal that if one of the other aces can beat him, they'd get phase back or they'd get hype back. And a bunch of and, money. And a bunch of money. No, it was just get phase back or no, hype back. I keep they, 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 they double. No, that was the original bet. I know this because I have written it down several times. So each ace goes to fight the droid or goes to race the droids in succession. And each time either the droids cheat, the course cheats, or the hut cheats, clearly against the rules that they had already established. So they lose. They now all are uh, enslaved to the hut, which, you know, just makes a lot of sense that Captain Doza would just keep sending his his guys out to lose, uh, even though this hut is clearly not staying true to to the rules set up by him for the races. So then Tor is like, hey, you know what? I'll bet you the Colossus. And if if we do a relay race with Kaz against two of your droids, then we get phase back. Or I keep calling them phase. They they get hype phase on back. I, I wrote phase and on my sheet and not his actual name. <laughs> um, so that's the important part. Kaz and Tora bet. Kaz and Tora's bet is that they will race, and if they lose, they will give over the Colossus, and the Hut keeps phase. Keeps so, everybody. No, he'll keep. Uh, yeah, yeah, he'll keep everybody. If they win, uh, they get phase back. There's a key piece of information that I'm gonna say to you, and it might fix your gripes. No, it won't, because none of this makes sense to me. Okay. Because their thing is. If they win, they get phase back. Not the other aces. And no, not the it money. Is, first of all, it is the deal for every gets. Uh, they back. say phase. She says, "Dude, I, phase. I, it's. Uh, I'm telling you, it's everybody and a bunch of money and the Colossus back." No, that's what they get when they win. But that's yeah, not that, what they're. That was with. part of the deal. Uh-uh. I clearly remember it being part of the. Deal. Strong disagree. Put that aside. The key piece of information. So your your problem seems to be. That they keep betting and betting and it doesn't make sense, right? Uh, they keep betting and betting. They keep losing because right. So uh, the HUD keeps cheating. And then instead of being like, hey, you're cheating, they go, okay, well, we'll just race you again and obviously lose. So the reason and- why they did that was because, and it's a tiny like little bit of dialogue, so I'm not surprised that you missed it. I barely got it. Because it also didn't make sense to me, so I had to go back and be like, "Why are they doing this again?" Uh, it's because Niku is trying to decrypt an algorithm in a betting game that is using the same predictive analytics on the course to predict all the traps. But he says it may take a number of tries before they can dial it in. So all those races and attempts were done with Niku trying to dial in all the cheating bits on the course so that they could know them and avoid them and win. And but, he, but they didn't. They, he, they right. ended up not, it wasn't until the very last second. Right. They, he said it needed a couple of attempts to get in. So each one of those rates was, was an attempt to break in and learn all the bits of the course. And on the very last one, they get it. He figures it out. I'm not saying it's a good explanation. I'm just saying there's an explanation. I don't know. I don't understand why they would just keep hedging their bets. Like it's because like they that. think they're getting closer and closer to decrypting the uh, like it, the course. 
it's it's not even worth it because like what if what if Niku wasn't able to decrypt it? It'd be out their aces and their whole ship. Uh, it doesn't right. Uh, makes well, no and sense. they're they're hedging their bets bets because the hut isn't going to let them leave. He threatens them with the buff monkey lizards. So they either need to win on his well, they, terms. He wouldn't let them leave because they were going to take hype with them. Right. And so basically, he had so an, he was basically saying, "You're not leaving with your guys." and keep betting and keep playing. And if they wanted to escape, they had to do it on his cheaty terms. Well, they could have just left. No, they couldn't have because he would have had the security stop them. They could have just left without hype, sure. Yeah, easy. But that's not... It's a kid's show, man. They're, uh, they're, no, they're not going to just terrible. abandon their friend. Like, they should have. I don't know if I agree good. with you on that or not. On they should have left hype behind, but I definitely agree with you that it would have been the easier option. <laughs> I just it's kept cheating, and they're like, "Hey, you're cheating." He's like, "Yep." Yeah. Oh. What What are they gonna do about it? Nothing. Or they get smashed by the monkey lizards. Leave. <laughs> but then they'd leave their their pilot behind, Whatever. and they need him. <laughs> leave. So John does not think that hype Phazon is a character saving a uh, from what? hunt slavery. <laughs> I agree with you. The whole thing seems kind of contrived. Uh, it's, again, like I said, I have an explanation based on what they did in the show, but it's not a good explanation. The whole thing's kind of wacky. So I I totally get why you have issues with this one. My notes on this are Star Wars is pro casino because there's, I just, like, there's a lot of casinos and gambling in Star Wars, which is taken uh to the extreme in the next episode as well i too liked the design of the hut's floating hut chair he has a great line where he says he's not like other huts you've heard of but he's exactly like those you haven't heard of mm-hmm. which is he's not which is which what makes that line like, oh, even maybe funny he's gonna be like a good hut and then he wasn't right then he wasn't so here's the thing that i got hung up on in this episode we got to talk about the monkey lizards because if they're sentient enough to be employees at a casino, then every time we see a, a monkey lizard getting barbecued on a spit, like in The Mandalorian, they're just straight up eating sentient creatures that are capable of at least decent amount of independent thought. Uh-huh. That's that's not okay. That was like, no. like So pick, are they animals? Are they people? They can't be in between. Uh, it's really weird. You you don't eat people? No. Weird. Not usually. Very strange. Hmm. You do? Huh? Uh-huh. Alright, so I, I loaded up the episode because it was bugging the crap out of me. Uh-huh. And you are correct. I think that there was I believe it was five hundred thousand credits and the return of the aces. Yeah. But I think what happened was Toro was like, hey, what if I bet, uh, what if we lose, uh, you get me, Kaz, and the Colossus. And at that point, like, my brain went like, all right, this is dumb. I hate everything. And then I just, I just zoned out. Because you're right. Yeah. It, it's like the next sentence. Uh, yeah. Captain Doze was like, all right, this is what we're doing. Like I said, I totally agree with you that it's dumb. <laughs> I just, <laughs> it's, it's dumb in a different way. <laughs> really felt like all the character development in this episode was the Huts. I and think it was, was supposed to be for hype. 
but then it wasn't. It wasn't. I didn't learn anything new about him other than he used to race for this hut, and he likes to run his mouth. And most of that I already knew. (laughs) We already knew the second half of that one. (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't actually have a huge issue with it when I was watching it, but then just listening to you explain it the way you did, I kind of was going, oh, oh yeah, this, this wasn't good. <laughs> All right. Let's, 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 let's say some positive things about this episode. Cause I have one positive note. First off, uh, Niku figuring out that the, the arcade games run off the same algorithms as the droids. I thought that was kind of weird and they kind of felt like they needed something to connect a way to get past the droids and like, Oh, what about a video game? What if we, uh, what if we last starfighter this? Like, all right that's kind of weird but it shows niku smart and i like when they do that um i liked the little hats that the monkey lizards were wearing those were, they were adorable <laughs> the droid race ships yeah they uh, kind of looked like vulture droids yeah they were kind of a weird design like they didn't feel star wars for me especially with like the the head that moved but yeah that was basically vulture droids with uh uh, you know, a different setup. I thought yeah. it was interesting that, you know, are you familiar with what RCS thrusters are? Uh, have you ever watched no. a? Oh, let's see, they they have them in Battlestar. Oh, okay, like like on like the, the little vipers in Battlestar, they've got the the little like white there. Yeah, they help help move them around. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 droid ships had those, and I can't recall ever seeing a ship in Star Wars having RCS thrusters. So I thought that was kind of a cool, like a real-world technology that was thrown in there. Yeah. Because most of the starfighters, they just move through space kind of like aircraft. And this was like the first time I've ever seen a spacecraft move like a spacecraft in in space in Star Wars. And then they also just didn't ever use them again, except for at the beginning. But I don't know. I like RCS thrusters. They make me happy. That's cool. Yeah, my uh, my big takeaway: the huts floating chair design and the whole hut design. Um, that's my that's my nice thing to say about this episode. <laughs> Moving on to the last episode, we're going to talk about today: uh, Kaz's curse. Um, so John, tell tell me about Kaz's curse. I enjoyed Kaz's curse way too much. Uh, so it starts off with with Kaz playing some sort of card game with with the uh, with the pirates. Was it dice? Some sort yeah. of dice card game uh, where they use dice instead of cards. Mm. Um, Dungeon dice. Kaz, Kaz is very lucky, and he gets a lot of the pirates' money and also boot. Yep, uh, which is a convenient way to store store it. And much like Kaz, as we know, he is not very humble about how 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 lucky he is and draws the ire of the pirates which you think that at this point he'd realize don't do that because they'll just steal your ship or maybe stranded somewhere one of the pirates curses him (laughs) licks his hand and slaps it on his face (laughs) just the most hilarious thing especially in this time of uh don't touch anybody (laughs) i was thinking that too (laughs) This is the exact opposite of what of what <laughs> society is telling us is okay right now. Also, in normal society, when when there isn't a pandemic, 
don't lick your hand and just touch someone's face. It's it's still not appropriate. No. Uh, throughout throughout the rest of the day, unlucky things keep happening to Kaz, and Niku is constantly telling him, "Dude, you're cursed. You're like heck a curse, bruh." Like those exact bro. exact quote. And Kaz is like, "Nah, that's not a thing." Until uh, oh, what, what was the thing that finally gets him to realize it? I think he I like, loses all of his money. No, no that's later because no. um, well, whatever it is, he he goes to to uh, Mika. Mm-hmm. To because she seems like some sort of bohemian new age soothsayer, <laughs> and he's like, Hey, I'm cursed. Uh, can you help me out? And she takes all of his money and the boot and gives him a charm. And he's like, Yeah, you know, you just gotta like not be unlucky. He's like, Okay, or whatever. I don't know. Uh, soon after he gets this token, um, some first orders they have to go. They have to go through a meteor asteroid field that's in Guavian death space. They don't say death death squad space. They keep saying death space. Just avoid death space, guys. Come on. <laughs> um, so they they send the aces out to scout for Guavian death scouts. <laughs> and <laughs> Cass finds one, tries to engage it, but like things keep going wrong on his ship because he accidentally lost his his little token of good luck and uncurse, I think well, it's called. So he he doesn't have the token when they first go out and get encountered by the scouts. I think that's what triggers him to go and talk to Mika. Because they go out and then gravity cuts out in his ship and he like floats up and hits his head and the, the guy gets away. Then he comes back and he's like, okay, now I need to... His, his ship just like falls to the deck when he yeah. flies back in. And then, then he gets the charm. Then he goes out again because the Guavian Death Gang are back with fighter ships, and they're yeah. gonna hold them hostage. Okay, we well, figured it out. And uh, I'm gonna assume that he realizes that the good luck, the curse was inside him all along. Oh my god! Yeah, some something something like that, right? Yep. The curse was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> and then he he uh, he gets back at the pirate. At the end, which was hilarious, it gives him the curse, gives him the charm. He puts he puts it in his soup. <laughs> he just walks up to him and drops it in his soup. <laughs> he's just like, I got it from Mika, probably cursed. And he's like, Wow! <laughs> so yeah, I got a couple notes on this one. Firstly, the the curse is amazing. He just like gets up on the table, kind of does the Maz thing from Force Awakens, where he just like crawls across the table, like saying nonsense words and like staring at him, and then just full on saliva licks his hand and just rubs it just straight down on Kaz's face. It's so uncomfortable. It is so hilarious. I felt that this was way too long of an episode to introduce there's no such thing as curses as a concept, but I still <laughs> had fun with it. I enjoyed that uh, when at the end where he realizes that he's not cursed, uh, Kaz participates in the grand Star Wars tradition of smacking something to make it work. Mm. Um, he just like hits his targeting computer and then it starts working. Yeah, I've got one note in this one and it kind of has points that go into the other one. So I'll let you do your last notes on this episode before I talk about to close this out. Um, all right. Well, 
strangely, like I don't really have a ton of ton of notes on this one. I would thoroughly enjoy this episode. <laughs> I, I think for me, it was it was such a departure from the nonsense world that I had just come out of with Vox Vortex. <laughs> in any distraction was was fun. Um, <laughs> I like that we got to see you know the aces out there flying again. So I've said in the past that a lot of resistance has built itself around the fighter craft and the racers and the space flight and the the ship to ship stuff and we didn't see enough of that in the first season in my opinion what we did see at the end was pretty good now at the beginning of this season i remember kind of complaining about when they get into space and they have space combat stuff it feels kind of slow and clunky and there's just something about the way they animate it that didn't really it doesn't really feel as good as it could right and i was having that problem when we went to rendezvous point in that episode like i had a note that just said uh the ship battles could be so much better and the lack of budget is really apparent in uh go to fox vortex and when they're racing it seemed a little bit better because they had they were in that asteroid field which was the race course uh because there were like objects that they could go around and it it felt better and then the beginning of this episode i wrote down i think they figured out they need some sort of background asset to make the ship battles better but like just kick up the speed like 25 percent or something it looks too slow and then at the very end of the episode when they were finally killing the guavian guys it seemed like they did that they kicked the speed up and it was so much better so like I guess with saying all this, I enjoyed the level that they got to with the ship combat here at the end. I hope they keep that consistent quality because it's dipped and dripped and dropped and risen so much just in the this season alone uh, as compared to you know the last season as well that if they're really going to sell this on pilots and the aces and being out in space, I really hope that they... they like I, I am I'm looking forward to some sort of grand aces battle at the end. Like I want finale level space flight combat. And I'm not sure if I'm gonna get it, but I hope I do, uh, at the end of this series. So I don't know. That that was that's uh a little sort of note of mine. Like how would I improve the series? I'd just bump up all the ship stuff by like <laughs> crank it to eleven. So <clears throat> any last minute uh, questions, comments, or thoughts on these four episodes, John? With the uh with the exception of one, I, I enjoy I enjoyed these episodes. One one very upsetting one. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, again after this. It's okay, I can't hurt you anymore. It will. Uh, <laughs> always always and forever. Yeah, like I'm just I'm just kind of waiting to see where this goes. You're right, they they definitely kind of marked this show at the beginning as the lives and actions of these handful of ace pilots and a resistance spy. And there hasn't really been a ton of resistance stuff in here unless the the resistance and the word resistance in the title of the show aren't actually supposed to be one and the same. Like this yeah, is this isn't Star Wars the resistance. It's Star Wars uh, resisting a thing, which it would make sense, but I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be the resistance. So I'm looking forward to when Star Wars Resistance and the Resistance are going to overlap 
and we'll get to see more of the resistance as opposed to just the adventures of the Colossus, Chasm of the Colossus, right. which is really what it's been as of late. But I think they've, if, if, I, if I know anything about playing dumb sci-fi games, RTS style games, you got one level where you got to get, you got to get the water. You got one level where you got to get the food and you get one level where you got to get the materials and then a couple of filler levels and then the the big uh, final event starts to t- takes place over the next, you know, three levels sort of thing. What um, level do we get the khakis at? Uh, we get Vox Vortex. Oh, okay. That's where we get the khakis? Yeah. That's that. Uh, that's the DLC made by an outside third-party company. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's. Uh, I was going to yeah. compare it to like the Half-Life series, but I liked all the. Uh, I liked all the DLC. You're you're right. It's 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 kind of weird that we're ending this discussion on this episode because again, it has been escapade episodes. You know, we had mm-hmm. one core story episode in this entire run of just the last podcast we did and this one so it'll be really interesting to see with the nine episodes that they have left in the season where where they go kick things and raise the stakes kick things into higher gear and bring the resistance and resistance together because we know what happens we see tora kaz and doza flying with the the resistance fleet you know at the end of rise of skywalker so the question is, will we get to see it, or was that just a fun little Easter egg? Or por qué no las dos? Who? Why not both? Ah, I took German. Yeah, one of these days I'm going to learn, like, that, you know, the phrases I use in Spanish in German, and then I will say them, and then you will not have that excuse. But then you'll uh, probably so just look at me and say, I, 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 Spanish. My, my German teacher was Austrian. We learned a different type of German. <laughs> uh like the All difference right. of a uh, new england english and southern california english that huh <laughs> I, that that broke me for a second i was just like wait <laughs> well i think that's it for this episode uh we're going to explore the next chunk of resistance in an upcoming episode and we'll get that out to you and then we'll be caught up and ready to review clone wars stuff so are our act are our worries unfounded? Will we get to see some of the things we want to see? Will we get more of the stuff we don't want to see? Now, if you would like to get a hold of us for an idea or a question or a comment, you can go ahead and tweet at us at the Twitters at Hothpod or shoot us an email at hothpod at gmail.com. You can always find us and more content on our website, hothtopicspodcast.com. I have been Ian. And I help. That was John, and he did indeed help. Thank you, everybody. We will see you next time.